this morning as we stand for our worship, our first song, I want to ask a question. You know, Jesus started the church a couple thousand years ago now, and uh, Mr. Ed just talked about how we're built on prayer, and this is his house of prayer. But there is something very significant about Jesus that he did for the church, and that was he died for it. In my Bible reading this morning, oh my goodness, I read I don't know how many things, but every time this morning it was on the lamb and the, or the blood or the covenant of the blood or the slaughtered lamb, the slain lamb. In your opinion, think about the word slaughtered versus slain. Which one sounds prettier? Do you know that word in the Greek means slaughtered? And that's a different view. I feel like it. We've slain is a little covering up our sin. Or the 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 reason why Jesus died for our sin. It kind of makes it soft. But I want us to really think about that this morning, as we sing our songs. And the first one, of course, is the Lion and the Lamb. You will meet one or the other. You have met the Lamb here, or you will meet the Lion over on the other side. So I pray today, if anybody here does not know the sweet lamb that was slaughtered for our sin, um, I t pray today is the day of your salvation. We would rejoice with you, and the angels certainly would in heaven. Let's sing the first song.
in the Bible. Today we're going to sing an old hymn, Wonderful Words of Life. That's where we get our, our, who we are in Christ. We find out who we are from his word. And so we're about to hear it, so we're going to sing about it. Words of life. 
says that Jesus was the word. And Father, we don't know you without it. We would be lost. And you have been so gracious to leave it for us, to write it yourself through men. And then you've preserved it all these years. That's amazing. Only a great almighty God could do that. And no matter what man does to try to take it away, they can never destroy it. So thank you. Father, may we grasp how important it is in our life, like it is our life, literally. Deuteronomy says that Moses was telling the people, it is your life. And so, Lord, help us to remember your word. Live by it in principle, in word, and in deed. And thank you so much for the man of God that you've called here at Somas. Thank you that you are using him in great and mighty ways. And we thank you that you have given him a message for us today. And we ask and pray that you will speak through him, that we will see you and not Gary, and that we will hear you and not Gary. And Father, most of all, in that hearing, we will become new and changed in in the area that we need to be moved towards your word and its beauty and its perfection. We want to be more like Christ. So teach us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Hey, hey I, a, a verse just comes to my mind um, in the Old Testament. talks about don't remove the the ancient landmarks, you know, the, the property boundary lines, and, uh, because they're, they're significant. <clears throat> so uh, I was going to say this earlier, but, but I'll say it now. So, uh, you know, Ed's like the patriotic of, patriarch of our church, you know. The, he's the ancient landmark <laughs> <laughs> for so much. Ed, uh, he, he's just a a good uh, brother in Christ. And then and I want to recognize that Richard had his 77th birthday uh, last uh, Tuesday, I think it was. And then Harry turns, Harry turns 80 on Saturday, right? And, and so hey, we got some ancient landmarks around here. You know, I'll just address this. I'm trying to do this. I'm tiptoeing through a landmine here. I know this. I just stress this that these 
men and ladies that have weathered the storms of life. And we're going to talk about James. James, James would probably um, um, identify with them. They, they, they're just, they're, they're unmovable. They're, they're steadfast because of their experience of life. And so we as younger people can look up to them about life. And they're just a wealth of um, a wealth of information and health for us, and so we do appreciate them. And uh, so, thank you, Ed, for uh, for speaking this morning and uh, giving us a prayer. So, if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to go back to the book of James, uh, chapter five. We're almost at the end of this this great book, James, chapter five. We're on the last chapter here, and as we look at James, we must identify that James um, is uh, is a letter. Now, in the New Testament, there are 27 books, and as we look at the books of the New Testament, all but five are letters, all right? So most of the New Testament is is nothing but a a compilation of letters that are written to churches. Now, Brother James here is is the pastor of the first first church there in Jerusalem, sits down and writes this letter, and he writes these to churches. I don't know how many churches he's writing to. Um, but he writes this letter, and it's to help these churches. So I'm going to give, a, give you this morning an exercise, if you'd like to join me with this. Um, there is an envelope that is sitting beside you uh, somewhere in your pew. Now, this is, a, this is your homework for the assignment for the, this week, all right? So you don't have to do it now. But uh, this homework is that <clears throat> in it is, is just a, a blank piece of paper, and it says, Dear Global Partners. Now, we as a church support 10 different missionaries throughout the world. And I put in that envelope the list of our missionaries that we support. And so people from this church give extra above their tithes and offering to missions, and uh, sometimes we call it faith promise, and we disperse that among uh, all our missionaries that we support. And, uh, and so... I thought it'd be good for us to just make a kind of a connection with James in this book of James, that each of us would write a, a general letter, and you would write that and um, put in there, you know, encouraging, uh, you know, thankful, or whatever you want in your heart to say to a missionary, uh, one of our global partners, one of the, and then we will ask you that you bring that back next Sunday. Then we'll make ten copies of that. I know we're going to keep Sandy busy this week. And, uh, and so we'll make 10 copies of your letter, and then we'll take that letter that you wrote and disperse them to those 10 different um, missionaries that are, in the, that are partner with us to get the gospel out into our world. And so this is going to be a blessing. First, it's going to be a blessing as the missionary think about this. He's going to receive a stack of letters, and he's going to read them, and he's going to be encouraged, and, and we can do that by our words, just like those words of life that we just sang about. And, and then you think about this. We're identifying with James. And this is going to do something for us as you go through this process. And uh, then also it just makes us awareness of, hey, we have 10 churches that are planting churches in different parts of the world right now. On this day, 
Churches just like this are meeting in different parts of the country, giving the gospel, and people are growing in Christ, and people are coming to Christ, and we have a part of each of those uh, stations of the gospels. And so just if you'd like to do that, I encourage you to take that home, sit down, write that letter, bring it back next Sunday, and just put it back on the back table, and we will make those copies and send them out. So as we go back to the book of James, we're going to start with verse 7 this morning. Now, I sent out in a newsletter a video that, that is a great teaching tool for the first six verses. I encourage you to watch that. If you're not part of the newsletter and you like to be, uh, put your email address on the connection card and we'll get you signed up. But James is, is, is writing something today, uh, something that we're going to look at today in, in these first uh, in these uh, five verses there from verses 7 to 11. And it's something that we need. We need today. You see, we're living in, as a Christian, and it is, it is in and somewhat of a difficult un, and becoming unpopular to be uh, a Christian, to stand up, to, to be in a, in a church service, or to go to church, or, or support uh, global missions. You know, it is unpopular as we engage in this culture, we are on the front lines, and we're going to take some hits. And so, uh, as we follow the footsteps of Jesus, as we listen to what James has said, we're going to experience some hardships along the way, but also there is some advice that is given that James gives us in this passage script that would be so helpful to us as we go forward from this service into our culture for today. So let's look at James chapter 5. Let's read all verses that we're going to be looking at from verse 7 to 11. It says here, it says, therefore, be, what's that word? Patient. Now you're going to notice it's going to mention more than once here. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord at his hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren... Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and even, even and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Father, again, we just ask your blessings upon the word. Break it down in our hearts so that we can put uh, your words to the steps, to, to our feet, that we may walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think you've noticed the common thread this morning. And the common thread is patience. James wants the churches to know how to be a patient person. Are you a patient person? I say some areas I am and some areas I'm not, depending on the situation and maybe even the time and of those events. But say, James is saying, here, when we're thinking about enduring life and going through difficult times, patience is necessary. And it's also linked with the return of Jesus Christ. Now, we live in a culture 
which values lightning speed. Lightning speed Wi-Fi. You remember how we used to have the, the, the dial-up phone? Oh, did you remember? As I, I couldn't imagine if we had to go back to that place. We, we would be suicidal. I think we would. If we had to go back to dial-up internet service. Uh, you know, we like one-click transitions. Uh, instant deliveries. We even like oatmeal that's instant. I mean, we want overnight success. We live in the now generation. Give it to me now. I want it now. You don't have the money? That's okay. Here, charge it. You can have it right now. We certainly don't like to wait in line. There's one, area, one place. I just understand this. When we drive by 101, um, on 101, um, there, by, um, by an in and out, there's always a line. And, and there's people waiting for 30, 45 minutes for a hamburger. <laughs> so uh, there are some patients out there. I was reading an article about uh, the Los Angeles Times, and they published a story years ago about a commercial airline flight cancellation, and it resulted in a long line of travelers trying to get booked on another flight. Well, one, in the ma one man in the line grew increasingly impatient with the slow-moving line, and suddenly he pushed his way to the front, angrily demanded a first-class ticket on the next available flight, and the ticket uh, agent replied, I'm sorry, but I'll have to take, but, but, uh, I'll have to take care uh, of the people first in line who are ahead of you. And the irate man pounded his fist on the ticket counter and said, do you have any idea who I am? Whereupon the ticket agent picked up the public address microphone and said, attention please, there is a gentleman at the ticket counter who does not know who he is. If there's anyone in the airport who can identify him, please come to the counter. <laughs> Need to say, hearing this, the man retreated and the people waiting in line burst into applause. <laughs> the virtue of patient is fast disappearing. We live in a now generation. We want to be, we want to be 16 now. We want to drive right now. We want to we want to be married now, and we'll just take the first one that comes along. We want, we want to have kids. We want to be married. We want, we want, to, we want to retire. <laughs> we want to have grandkids. We want those things, and we want them now. You know, as you think about it, you boil all that down of, of, lack, uh, of patience, lack of patience, it transmits to this that we have a resentment towards suffering. We don't like to suffer. We don't be put out. We avoid suffering at all costs. We don't want the road to be difficult. We want it to be smooth, fast, and easy. And life is not like that, my friend. We long to live in a world without suffering. If there's a vaccine for all suffering, <laughs> we're right first in line. We want to take it. Get out of our way. But you see, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we are personally called to 
patience and endurance because this is the path that Jesus talked about. And as we, as we follow Jesus, we're going to have some difficulties in life. So it's also a call for us when we see suffering around us, when we encounter personal tragedies and trials, when we see injustice prevails for those who are on us, and when those who remain true to Christ are persecuted. Sometimes God seems silent in the face of oppression and evil. James again tells us to endure. Be willing to wait. This is what we need. Then, then James gives us some information that tells us how to be patient. All right? We notice in this passage, we read there four times patience is mentioned. And two times the word wait is here. And so James is saying, and he's taking this little section here, James is, is, the, is the Proverbs of the New Testament, and he's talking about patience. And so he's, he talks about this, and, and, it, and it's, he's saying that this, as we go through difficult times, this is something that we need. And this patience is beyond just waiting for something. Right? It's this word, this idea has, has means a willingness to endure that which is hard and difficult. In other words, you know the saying, you know, I take the low road, you take the high road. You know, I'm willing to take the road that may be less traveled, may be more difficult, but it's the right road that God is leading me on. I'm willing to do that. That's what that's, this, James is saying. He talks about the word uh, persevering. Uh, and endure. The word patience in the original Greek, it means macrothumos, and it means macro, meaning long, and thumos, which when we get the word thermometer, meaning heat. And so patient literally, what James is saying in the Greek means it takes, long, it takes a long time for you to get hot. You've got a, a long fuse. You don't blow up easily. You don't get overheated with people. You, you, you have a long fuse and not a short fuse when it comes to relationship. And listen, if we're going to have success with people, if we're going to minister to people, you have to learn patience. If you're going to be successful parents and towards your children, patience is in the works. Your grandparents, with our grandkids, patience must be there. Enduring, you have to have that long fuse, not easily overheated. So how does James tell us to be a patient person? So let's look at this. Let's go back to verse 7. And it says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be impatient about it until he receives the early and the latter rains. So what James is saying is, to be a patient person, you have to be like a farmer. You have to put your overalls on. <laughs> And I'm going to be a farmer. I'm going to be like a farmer. And so you got to think like a farmer. you got to act like a farmer. All right? Well, how does he act? Well, I think a farmer is one of the most hopeful persons on our planet. He is hopeful. He, he, is, wait, he is waiting. He puts something in the ground, and, he, and, and he's waiting for a crop. And it's... it's uh, it's a reasonable hope. It's an expectation of good that's about ready to happen. Just like a Christian goes through life. 
We, we live by faith. We, we plant something. We, we do something, and we're expecting that, that as we follow God, and we don't see how it's going to work out, but we know that God says that this is going to be fruitful. And so we look towards the future, that there's a reward for the labors. And so a farmer is a very hopeful person. It's a hopeful person. He waits a long time. I mean, it's not something he plants and then he immediately expects results. No, there is a process of waiting. So he waits for the future. He waits for, the, for what comes uh, down the road. And while he is waiting, he is working. Farmers are not lazy people. You can't be a, a farmer and be lazy. Farmers are hard workers. My grandfather was a farmer. He was a sharecropper in Nest City, Kansas. I remember as a kid going to his farm and uh, working, you know, getting up before sunrise and going to be- bed uh, after dark, you know, and, and, and working all that time, uh, all, constantly doing something. A farmer does not give up. He doesn't plan and says, oh, there's nothing happening, so I'm going to just move on to something else. A farmer knows it, that he must wait, but while he's waiting, he's working. And I think that's true of us as Christians. That, you know, God calls us. And remember when Jesus said the word said, occupy till I come. He means he mean stay busy, being in the, involved in the kingdom of God. Yes, I'm coming. And yes, we have it, expect, expecting a great and wonderful end for our lives. The last chapter is going to be, be wonderful for us. But listen, he wants us to be engaged no matter how difficult it is. How things may not go as we seem. But we're to be faithful, continue to moving forward, constantly engaged in the kingdom of God. And he waits depending on things out of his own, uh, things that are out of his own power, with his eyes to heavens. Notice the mention of the, the former early rains and the latter rains. Was, if, if you were re- reading this book in, in James for the first time and you were back there 2,000 years ago, you would understand, oh, yeah. The farmer back there was in April, March, they get that first rain and they plant the crop and it water. And then, and then they were, they're waiting for the latter rains because that's the one more rain that just brings the crop, the harvest to, to a place where it can be harvested, you know, and it's where it grows. And so, so we wait for that, uh, that early rain and then they wait for that latter rain. The farmer depends upon that, upon the weather. And, he, and, he, and he's something that's out of his control. He can't do anything about that, at least with the, the, the farmers that James is writing to. The farmer, listen, the farmer does not try to control what can't be controlled. And this is a key in, in our patience. There are areas that you can control, and there are areas that you cannot control. It's like a sports team. They're, they're, you know, and he plays on the field, and, and there, there are some out-of-bounds. You know, when, when you're playing a game, and you're, and you're involved in the game, and that sport, whatever it may be, it could even be soccer, I don't know, but, but it, whatever it might be, and you, you're in that game, and you know what? You're not paying attention to what's happening outside the bounds. You know, you're not up there, you know, you know, what happens on the field, that's what you're concerned about. It's the same thing. In our life, you know, there are things that are going to be out of our control. You know, ultimately, we, we don't know how the elections are going to happen. We, you know, we, we do what we can and we do our, our best and, 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 and do our part. 
and, and, um, and getting out and vote. We do stuff like that that's, that we ought to do as Christians. We ought to, we ought to choose a platform that, that uh, agrees with the biblical principles of God's word. And so we do things, but yet ultimately, those things are out of our control. No, there are some things out of that in your life that, that you may be trying to control. And you may try, but listen, maybe those are things that are, that are out of bounds. And you have no control of that. You know, you really don't have control whether somebody really likes you or doesn't like you. Whether somebody agrees with you or doesn't agree with you. That's out of bounds. You can't control that. When a situation is beyond our control, you know, we still try to control it. And I'm, I'm going to, you know, put my name here on this point. We think that our worries will somehow change or impact that which we can't control. We think that if we worry, you know, about what is out of bounds and out of control, that somehow it's going to make a difference. But it's not going to make a difference. It's a useless exercise. That, J, that J, uh, the word says, the Bible says we should not worry about those things that are uncontrollable. And so we don't worry about what is out of bounds. So the farmer depends on things that he cannot control. Despite the changing circumstances and many uncertainties, he still continues on. He's, he doesn't get, give up. He doesn't become discouraged and quit. He has this great hope he waits and he's encouraged by thinking about the harvest. We can learn from the farmer and how to be patient. So put your overalls on. And be a farmer when it comes to the difficulties of life. He also says in the next verse, be patient. Establish your strength in your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The coming of the Lord is at hand. That's a great verse, great thought in the scriptures, especially when we talk about difficult things. And he says, establish or strengthen your heart. To be a patient person is to have a settled mind that God is sovereign, that God is in control. The Philip translation of this passage of scripture puts this way. It says, resting your hearts on the ultimate certainty. Rest in your hearts. What's the ultimate certainty? Well, God's going to make everything wrong right. There is an end that's wonderful, and I'm looking forward to that time. And so I'm going to endure this time where God has called me, God has placed me, <clears throat> and one day it's all going to be over. And the last chapter will be read and be, uh, has been written, and it will, be, uh, it will unfold. We must settle this question in our mind. If you're going to be a patient person, is God in control or he isn't? Is, is God sovereign? Is truly God the King of kings and Lord? Is he the supreme power and authority of the universe? If you're going to be a patient person, you've got to got to wrestle with you got to define you got to settle that god is a sovereign god and if you wanted to prove for this james gives us really clear he says that, hey he says uh, what does it say for the coming of the lord is at hand 
And so I think that's a reference to, yes, he's coming ahead. I also think that's a reference that it could be that, you know, we're going to meet the Lord. And it may be today, tomorrow, next week, a month, or 10, 5, whatever years from now. But it's soon, and it'll be soon coming when we will be with the Lord. But I think also as we think about this in the context of this and the the scriptures and the context of of today, the word coming, when it was translated into English, is an old English word that meant a king was coming. And if you knew a person such as important king is coming, you would prepare things. Things would be ready for that person. You would have everything set in order, and all the things would, would come together because you were expecting the arrival of, the, of that king. There would be signs that a king is coming soon. As I think about and I look about our culture and what's happening, as I watch the news and I hear the reports, I think the, the coming of the Lord is very near. I think the signs are there. And God's word explains when the coming of the Lord is near, he has it all planned out. Everything is on schedule. I mean, he, he knows, and he even stated this, when Jesus was here upon the earth, what will be the end of the times? Then he gives us a whole list of things. You see, when you see this, this, this is the season when I'm going to return. Nothing is out of time or out of tune with God's plan. It's all moving to a climax of Christ's return. We see it unfolding right before our eyes. The return of Christ, it's setting up for Christ's return. We know the end. We read Revelation and all the players are put in place and they have been put in place. So we know Christ is coming back. And we believe he's coming back soon. How much more when James wrote this at that time than this time as well? You see, when the, when the Bible is written, the New Testament is talking about the return of Christ, return of Christ. It was always to all the churches, they're always to have this expectation it could happen at any moment. Jesus is coming. Any moment, he's going to walk through that door. Any moment, he's coming. Any moment, the clouds are going to be be, uh, pulled back and Jesus is going to come down and and get his children. That's the way we live our life. And it'll help us to be patient, enduring the difficult times. We strengthens our heart that Christ is coming back. It helps us. Our belief in a God that is sovereign over all, that he is in control, helps us to rest our hearts to be a patient people. In verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, there's something in, in most of our areas that we struggle with with patience, if we'll be honest about, is in our relationships. And James is saying in times of hardship, especially in times of hardship, can cause us to be less loving to others because of the pressure and the stress. And James says, listen, you be patient, you endure. Because one day, the judge who is at the door, he's getting ready to come in, and you're going to stand before that judge, and you're going to have to give an account for everything that you have said and done. And so number three, we understand to be a patient person that very sooner he or she will stand before Jesus Christ and give account for their words. 
Paul said this in Corinthians 5, that we must all stand before Christ to be judged, and we will each receive whatsoever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. And so there is a judging, giving a full account of how we related, whether we had that short fuse or long fuse with people in our life. Verse 10, James says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. I say, listen, he's setting up the prophets. Here's an example. Look at the prophets. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. James reminds us of the prophets of the Old Testament. They endured hardship, and they patiently endured some very difficult times. You think of just one, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a great example, who endured mistreatment, and he did with godly patience. He was put in the stocks in Jeremiah 20, thrown into prison in Jeremiah 32, lowered into a cold, dark dungeon, Jeremiah 28, yet he patiently endured his ministry. Great example are set before us, people who have suffered more than we can imagine, and yet they endured patiently. But it goes on to give us a, kind of the supreme example in the Old Testament. And then in verse 11, again, he says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And Job, who was the wealthiest person alive, he had everything going for him, but in a two-day period, he lost everything. His family, except for his wife, um, his children, his, his financial position, his house, his servants, he lost it all. And no doubt he suffered not only materially, but physically and socially, every kind of way. And the worst part of it, Job's suffering that he had no idea what was happening to him. And for 37 chapters, God is silent and not giving him answers to why he's suffering. And sometimes that's the most difficult thing. When we're during and we know we're on the right path and God is silent. And Job kept on and he didn't curse God and die. He kept on. There's no apparent reason for his misfortune. And Job was, was the poster child who could say, well, why me, God? Because he was such a good person. And yet terrible things happened to him. And again, I say to you, my friend, life is not fair. It's difficult. And God never promised to have a fair life. Jesus himself entered into abuse, injustice, there are things that, that happened to Jesus that weren't fair, and if we're following the steps of Jesus, certainly that will happen, and certainly was true for Job. Things didn't make sense for Job. He didn't understand. He wasn't in, in clue with what was happening as we are, because we look back, but he, in the midst of the things, couldn't figure out what was happening. And we see that Job persevered. Job kept on going, no matter what, he persevered through it all. And we see also that the, the end was intended by the Lord. He's speaking of the goal and purposes of God in his life, and, and we know that last chapter was written, and how that God blessed him, 
blessed him. We are blessed by Job's suffering. I love what Spurgeon said about this. He said, he said this, that, you know, when you're suffering and, 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 and so forth, that, that things happen to us. He says, if a man were to attack me with a knife, I would resist him with all my strength and count it a tragedy if he succeeded. Yet if a surgeon comes to me with a knife, I welcome both him and the knife. Let him, let him cut me open even wider than the knife attacker because I know his purpose is good and necessary. We have to trust the sovereign God is a good God. And if he comes to us with difficulties, we're okay with that because we know he's got some good thing that's coming out. And for Job, listen what happened to Job. He says that, James says that in the end of that passage of Scripture, we just read that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Not apparent in the immediate story that Job was going through, but we consider what God did, and indeed, God was very compassionate, merciful to Job. Because he, first of all, only allowed suffering for a good reason. And God doesn't want you to go through suffering, but if he does, there's a very good reason that, that, puts, uh, that balances out the pain and suffering that we go with. The good reason weighs more heavily. God was very compassionate, merciful Job, because he was stri- he res- restricted when Satan, what Satan could do against him. God was very compassionate, merciful to Job, because he sustained him with his unseen hand through all his suffering. God was very merciful and compassionate to Job, because in the whole process, he used Satan, and at the end of all, God accomplished something wonderful that, that because of that testimony and because of, the, of his life, we are strengthened and encouraged in our heart that we can endure. And personally, for Job, to, it made Job a better man and more blessed than ever before because of that. Remember that as good as Job was at the beginning of the book, he was a better man at the end of it. He was better in character, humbler, and more blessed than before the hardships that he experienced. I would imagine if we were to take Job and say, Job, we had him before when we were doing a little interview. Job, you know, how would you go back through it again? Well, he would probably say something. It was very difficult, but I'm telling you, On the other side of it, it's wonderful. It's good. And and he could truly boast that God is merciful and compassionate. That's what happens to us. We just wait. I don't know how long it's going to be before we have to wait in our, our suffering. But if we just wait, we will see the merciful, compassionate God come into view and into the work into our life. Let me give you one more point. To be a patient person is doable. You can say, I'm not a patient person. You can say, you know, I, I, I just have, I, that's the way I am. That's not true. Yeah, we're born with all short fuses. I want to be changed right now. I want food now. I'm tired now. But we learn and we can learn out of that, and hopefully we'll learn past that. 
James has given this teaching and say, you can be a patient person. It's very doable. Prophets did it. They're nothing special other than they're putting their faith and trust in God, and they, they were like the farmer. Job did it. We can do it as well. And the reason we can do this, listen, we can become the most important, excuse me, the most patient person in this room. Jesus patiently endured the cross, the abuse, the injustice, the mocking, the shame, all for us. If we have accepted Jesus Christ into our life, God's spirit dwells within. That patient spirit. God is so patient, so long That same God, that same spirit dwells within us. And as we allow him to work in us and through us, we surrender our will to his will. We can be as patient as God is. God is working through us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Do you struggle in an area of, to be patient? Perhaps it's hard to patiently endure some relationship. Your boss, coworker, relative, your mother-in-law, your father-in-law. A relative, friend, neighbor. Listen, you, you can be as patient as God to them if you let God work in you and through you. Trust in the sovereignty of God. Don't try to co control those things that we can't control. James tells us if we lack any wisdom, Any help? God's faithful to help us. He wants us to be patient people that endures even the difficult times that come in our life. Heavenly Father, we approach your throne of grace. We could say that's a throne of patience. We give thanks for your long-suffering towards us. We are a people that try your patience. Yet you continue to love us despite the times that we are stubborn and indifferent towards you, your loving care. You extend your grace, your mercy, your long-suffering towards us. God, we do confess our need of your help when it comes in the area of patience, especially when life is so difficult. Our fuse tends to be short towards others, especially those that are like sandpaper. But Father, we surrender to your will, to your ways, allowing your power through the Holy Spirit to move and control us when we become impatient. And we'll just trust you for the outcome of all this. And we know that it'll be a good harvest. We thank you, Jesus Christ, for your enduring patience to suffer for us. 
going to the cross and on the cross, that we might have heaven in our minds. In the gracious name of Jesus Christ, amen. If we can be a help to you in any way, please let us know. I'm going to invite you to stand. You can write on the connection card whatever needs that you might have. We can help you in that step. Or you come see us after the service. Or pray with somebody that you respect that could help you. And we, we want what God wants. We want to change and be transformed how God wants us to be. Let's sing this last song as we close the service out. Cindy.
God. God's word is amazing. And that's where we find out who we are in him. So go home this week, read it, memorize it, share it, um, and let him speak to you through it. We love you guys. Have a great week. 